You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. So good to hear all of your voices saying that prayer together. We've had that that video with the different voices from our congregation that we've gotten to hear, and it's good to hear um, our voices in unison as as, as one congregation praying those those words together. My name is Caleb. I'm one of the pastors at Harborside. If you're joining us for the first time this week, um, thanks for thanks for making it out on a cold Sunday morning. Kind of cold. I'm from Chicago, so it's all relative, but it is chilly. Um, I got my winter hat on this morning. What is something you would like to know the will of God regarding? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me see if this is working. There it is. Your will be done. Think about something. If you have a pen, maybe write it down. Maybe jot something down in your phone. What's something you'd like to know the will of God? Financial decision. Decision about a friend group. Should you date so-and-so? Where should you send your kids to school? Where should you go to school? Would you like to know the will of God regarding? I'll come back to that. One of the first debates that Sonia and I had after we had gotten married, we both remember it pretty well, uh, it happened in the orange juice aisle of the grocery store. We were standing in front of the orange juice, newly married, trying to decide what orange juice to buy. And there were a lot of options. I grew up with this guy. Anybody else grow up with this? Familiar with this? Maybe this is an American thing. Oh, some okay. So this is a a can of frozen uh, concentrate. And you'd have like a dozen of these in your freezer. And whenever you wanted orange juice, you'd pull one of these out, plop it into a pitcher, mix it with two cups of that water, and then you'd stir it up and you'd have orange juice. I didn't know it was terrible. It was all we had. (laughs) And you could have grape juice concentrate. I mean, they had every kind of concentrate you wanted. You just frozen, plop it into a pitcher, mix it up, and boom, there you got water. Uh, And I grew up, or they got orange. I grew up in the Midwest, and this is just kind of how we did it. Um, Sonia grew up in California. I was a little bit more familiar with the fresh-squeezed variety of orange juice um, and had the audacity to assume that in our married life we would have fresh-squeezed orange juice. So there we are standing in the orange juice aisle. You can, you can picture it. I mean, there's a lot of options. You got no pulp, low pulp, high pulp. You got, we debated, you know, organic or non-organic. Is this one of the things that you want to do the organic on? Or is the organic process not fair for small farmers? And so should you go for the non-organic? Or maybe you, you, is it better to like get the organic or just spend $4 instead of $10 and then donate the $6 somewhere else? Or, uh, you know, low sugar, no sugar, you got from concentrate, 100% juice from concentrate, 100% not concentrate. And we stood there for probably 10 minutes debating what kind of orange juice we were going to buy. You can't imagine what happened when we got to the eggs. <laughs> Jeez. Um, what kind of orange juice do they drink in heaven? Your will be done. I mean, it's a silly 
and low stakes example, of course, uh, but it's sort of become a metaphor for for us, um, an orange juice decision. It's sort of become paradigmatic for all of the decisions that we are pressed into making in the world today, where it feels like more and more every decision has a moral implication. And I think think some of that is uh, falsely imposed on us, and some of it comes from the fact that we just know more about where our clothes come from. Baptist World Aid has a wonderful page on their website about ethically sourcing your clothing, because where you buy your clothes matters. And maybe what kind of orange juice you buy, does it matter? We were paralyzed into indecision. I remember I even went over to the orange section and counted up. How many oranges do they say fit in there? Okay, I counted up the oranges, figured out how much time is it going to take me to squeeze these oranges? Ah, forget about it. It's a lot. And honestly, preparing for this sermon on the will of God felt a little bit like standing in front of this orange juice section. I mean, it's a daunting topic to talk about. I'm daunted. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, standing in front of this section, all the different options on how to approach the will of God, determinism, soft determinism, hard determinism, these were all terms that I came across this week. Don't worry, I'm not going to... Congruism, God's wish will, God's will will, concurrent will, predetermined will, predestined will, preceptive will, proscribed will, prescribed will, declarative will, perfect will. Oh, man. It was overwhelming. All of these were different terms that different people used to talk about what God's will is. I'm going to save you the philosophical treatise. This morning, I, I, I want to ask two questions, and then we'll go to communion. The first question is, what is God's will? And the second question is, how do we follow God's will? Each of those questions, I have two answers for this morning. So that's four points. Just to give away the ending, all four points are Jesus. (laughs) And so I really have one point this morning, um, which is Jesus. But we're going to look at it through these two questions. And then we'll go to the communion table. What is God's will? Um, I felt a, a lot like Isaiah this week, who says when God appears before him, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. To talk about the will of God, um, I do so with a lot of humility, and I ask you for a lot of grace. Um, But I do think we can say a couple things about it. The first thing that the Lord's Prayer helps us do is to take a step back and decenter ourselves. It does this by beginning the prayer, focusing on God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We begin this prayer by looking and focusing on God and by decentering ourselves. And it struck me this week at how profound a claim it is that In each of our lives, our wills is not the most important thing. That's a really profound reality. I mean, I think about as part of what coming to church is, is is sort of you you give up your Sunday morning, you come to church with the recognition that there's something bigger than you that draws you in here. There's something bigger than your own will, your own desires. That's that's a pretty radical countercultural idea. So the Lord's Prayer begins us by, by decentering ourselves, focusing on something bigger than us. Part of the big picture that the Lord's Prayer invites us into is, is, is also that there's no I, there's no me in the Lord's Prayer. 
our Father in heaven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There's no me or I. It's all in the plural. Jesus is giving this prayer to a group of disciples, telling them that they should pray this. And the Lord's Prayer, I think, is most at home being heard in unison like we just heard it read. It's most at home in a congregation of people. Now, Jesus has just told his disciples that when they pray, they should go into their room and pray with the door closed. Jesus is often found alone in solitude praying. So this is not to say that the Lord's Prayer shouldn't also be taken and applied you know, individually, personally. Um, it absolutely should. And a lot of this preaching series is about that. But it is teach us to pray, isn't it? Um, and the Lord's Prayer decenters us, again, by locating us not only in the bigger picture of God's will, but in a community of people praying together. And in particular with this section, we're praying for God's will on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, I asked you to think about something, probably you thought of something in your own life, um, but, but, but the, the sense of God's will we get from the prayer is, is pretty cosmic. It's pretty on earth as it is in heaven. What is God's will? Ephesians 1 explains it this way. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he is really summarizing what has happened in Jesus when he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So Paul is looking back on the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and saying, this, what's being revealed to us, is the mystery from the beginning of time, that God had planned all along to redeem God's people through his Son. Jesus wasn't plan B. This is the mystery of his will revealed to us. This is the bigger story that we're a part of. This is God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And it's happened and nothing is going to change that. In Jesus, we see God's purpose and plan to redeem the world through his son, to bring all things in heaven and on earth into unity under Jesus' lordship. That's the larger story that we get to be a part of, that we are a part of. And I think this larger context is so important to remember because we spend a lot of time focusing on our individual selves, self-enlightenment, being true to yourself, self-awareness. All of these things are, are great. Postmodernism has offered us some really great tools to reflect on ourselves, what's going on in ourselves. Um, those things are incredibly valuable. But the shadow side of some of that is that there's an individualism that has placed so much weight on us individually. And often, I think, to the neglect of the us and to the neglect of the larger story. I, I really wish this image was better. This isn't the best. I'm going to come up with something better for you down the road. This is, meh, it's fine. It'll help me make my point. I want to spend a little bit of moment, uh, just a moment here. We spend a lot of time focusing on ourselves. And in fact, often I think in, in Christianity, 
we prioritize the private, personal spirituality as the ultimate and most important aspect of our faith, right? It's this big picture that we're a part of. We're a part of a big story. And yet, so often, I think the tail wags the dog in terms of our experience. Our, our personal, individual experience and feelings are valuable. They're helpful. They can guide us. They can be formative for us. Um, but they shouldn't they shouldn't wag the tail. Here's what I mean. When, I remember when I was a teenager, especially, Christian teenager, grew up in the church, um, you know, went to youth group, was given books every now and then, was given a lot of books. Every book as a teenager, I felt, was some version of radical hope, um, unimaginable fire, unquenchable faith, some sort of superlative and then something else, right? Irresistible this, undeniable that, um, you know, faith on fire. Uh, we give, uh, I was given all like the, those martyr books, like the Jesus Freaks books that DC Talk put out. Remember those? Those are incredible books. I, was, I had like a whole stack of all those books, the list of everyone that had been tortured for Jesus. <laughs> and I just wonder, where was the book that was like, Jesus in the midst of depression? <laughs> Jesus, you know, life is hard. You're all over the place and God's got you. Um, every book I was given, what, 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 I, as I reflect on it, I feel like it really elevated that top line and was like, if you're not absolutely on fire then you better look in the mirror and decide whether or not you love Jesus. As, and I remember in youth group hearing this line multiple times. If you like playing video games, if you like 30 minutes of video games more than you like 30 minutes in the Psalms, then you better take a good look in the mirror and decide whether you love Jesus or whether you're going to hell. It's like, okay, every 14-year-old boy loves playing video games more than they love reading the Psalms. Like, what are, what are we doing? Where, and, I, and I just wonder, where was that, that resource, that story of saying, um, hey, your experience is going to go up and down. It, you're, you're, it's going to be great, and then it's going to be terrible. But you know what doesn't change? That you're a part of a people, that you belong, and that God's plan for the universe doesn't depend on, on your hormones and what's going on with your friend group, that God's got you no matter what. Um, and I was talking with Mike about this, you know, the kids, our kids went off to kick and had an incredible experience. And those experiences are so formative and important. I'm not, I don't want to like deny that. I had those experiences as well and they're really important for me. But we were just talking about like, yeah, the real pastoring happens as you walk with those kids down the mountaintop right? When you walk with those kids down the mountain into the valley where it's murky and muddy and my friends don't like me and, you know, where, where, where was that, right? Um, and I've had, I've had so many people just as, an, as adult friends who something goes awry in that top little section. They don't like praying anymore. They can't connect with God. They're not hearing God. They stop reading their Bible. They don't believe, finally, they just don't believe in God, um, you know, for, for a period of time or something. And so because the tail is wagging the dog, they forsake the rest of it because of something that's going on in the top portion. And, you know, one theologian has, has talked about it this way, saying, um, my anxiety, my flightiness, my commitment is like the weather, 
Sometimes it's, it's, it's my paraphrase, but sometimes it's shining out. It's bright, it's sunny, it's warm. Oh, it's good. But sometimes it's foggy and I can't see. And sometimes it's raining and it doesn't feel like it will ever stop. But God's the mountain. God's not the weather. Don't let the weather convince you that the mountain isn't there. And so I think in Jesus, we see the mountain. In Jesus, we see God's will from beginning to end. God's the mountain. God's not the weather. And we, we stand in the mountain, and the weather is around us, and it's real, uh, but God's the mountain. <laughs> no matter what kind of orange juice you buy, it's still true. You, uh, God is the mountain. God's will from beginning to end to reconcile this world through Christ does not change. What is God's will? It's to put all things under Christ. Okay, this, the second answer to the question, what is God's will? In Jesus, we see God's cosmic will, and through Jesus, we see God's will for us. In Matthew 22, the Sadducees have come to Jesus. They're trying to trip him up with all these hypothetical questions that Jesus walks through with incredible wisdom and grace. And then a Pharisee comes up to Jesus and asks him, says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Um, in the, in the goat debate, is popular in every sport in the U.S. Every talking, every sports talk show will at least once a week have some debate about who the GOAT is, the greatest of all time. I think you have the same debates here, right? Who's the, who's the greatest Australian cricketer of all time? Oh, okay, some debate. Who's the, who's the, who's the, who's the AFL GOAT? Oh, some, okay, we got to figure this out, guys. <laughs> We've got to sort this out. We'll debate afterwards. Um, it's a very popular conversation in the U.S. Which is the greatest commandment of all time? This would have been a talking point, not so dissimilar to the sports kind of... What's Moses' greatest commandment to us? What's your take on that? Rabbis would have had probably different takes on it. So he comes up and asks Jesus, and Jesus gives a good answer kind of right down the middle of the road, this is, this is the right answer. He says, "Love the." it's Deuteronomy 6.5, straight out of the, one of the most important chapters in the Torah, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And Jesus' unique twist on this answer is that he continues and says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. He quotes Leviticus 19, which is an, an entire chapter about how the community was supposed to love its neighbor. It's a really beautiful chapter in Leviticus. Um, love your neighbor as yourself. Christians should always live with this commandment close to their minds, close to their hearts. The Israelites were instructed to tie this commandment onto their hands and to bind it around their heads, and to write it 
on their doorposts and on the side of their doorposts and on both sides of their doorposts so that when you stood up, you saw it. When you walked out of the door, you saw it. When you walked back in the house, you saw it. And when you sat down, you saw it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the will of God. Understanding God's will for our lives will be made very difficult for us if we have not been saturated by God's word. I think particularly about those bedrock confessions like like the greatest commandment. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When the bedrock verses of our faith have become a part of the habit structure of our lives, we will find our wills conforming to God's with much greater ease. So I'd encourage you to find one of those one of those bedrock verses, like Matthew 22. I mean, there are other good options, right? I mean, um, yeah, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Let Tie that to your hand. Bind that around your head. Write that on your doorposts. When we saturate our lives with those core truths, we'll find it much easier to understand and do God's will in our own lives. What is God's will? We see it in Christ and we receive it through Christ. Now we come to that next question. How can I do God's will? The two ways, dying to our own will and listening for God's. Um, The Heidelberg Catechism is an old... um, It's an old Reformed uh, Sunday school lesson. It was like one of the first Sunday school lessons that came out of the Reformed tradition. And one of the questions, it's a question-answer format. One of the questions is, what does it mean that the Lord tells us to say, thy will be done? And the Heidelberg Catechism says, um, it is to help us and all people reject our own wills and to obey God's will without any (laughs) backtalk. I love that. Like for a 16th century document, I feel like that's pretty... Um, pretty casual and to the point, right? Without any backtalk. The assumption in the Lord's Prayer is that God's will is uh, not ours and that it's better than ours. It's better for the world, it's better for our neighbors, and it's better for us. How do we do God's will? Romans 12 says, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read a few, these are a few passages from Scripture that relate to to God's will. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and to prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Matthew 16, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Take up your cross. Consider your death. Follow me. Colossians 3, 
For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Surrendering, renewing, denying ourselves, clothing ourselves, being transformed. The New Testament uses a dozen different words and images to describe that work of denying ourselves. There's a story um, in a book that I read recently about a sculptor who's got a huge block of marble and he's working on and chipping away at it and a child is watching and, you know, it's, he's doing the painful work of chipping off the big sections and, 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 and the child is watching and then the child leaves and a few days go by and the kid comes back and, and, and the child comes back and sees that there's this lion, this incredible lion that the sculptor has you know, sort of painfully and painstakingly created out of this block of marble. And the kid says, how did you know that lion was inside that block? It's good, right? Um, this process of dying to ourselves, of allowing the sculptor to, to, to chisel away at us, um, to make us into something that we aren't, is a sometimes painful process that always bears good fruit. And it will look different for each one of us. The sculptor knows you, created you specifically in a unique way, but we will all be made of the same material. It's all Jesus. The sculptor always makes us and creates us in the direction of Jesus and even though each, each sculpture comes out absolutely unique, it's all made of the same marble. It's all made in the direction of Jesus. The Lord's Prayer decenters us, makes God's will the priority for us. And when we focus on Jesus, the work of God's Spirit will help us to become more and more like Him. Die to our own will, and we listen. To do the will of God, we must listen to God. That really struck me this week. It's probably maybe the most obvious thing. To do the will of God, we must listen to God. You know, when one of my kids is not listening to me, um, the two things they, I, they need to do are be quiet and look at me, <laughs> right? And, and if they're looking at me and they're quiet, there's like a 10% chance they're listening. If they're not, there's no chance they're listening. Um, be quiet and, and, and look at me. To do the will of God, we must listen to God. And to listen, we must be silent. To listen, we must be silent. What was that thing that you wrote down at the beginning? What came to mind when you thought, I would love to know the will of God for this? I don't have an answer for you, but I would encourage you to take it into silence before God. We've been handing out these devotionals each week. Um, so this has many of the scriptures that I referenced. It's got a few of them and a few extra on here. And it's got a little bit of a prompt on the beginning. On the reflect portion, here's what I wrote this week. How will we know the will of God unless we listen? And how will we listen unless we are quiet? This week you are encouraged to be still and quiet before God. This can be a very challenging task for us. Silence is foreign to our way of life, so start small. 
don't try for 30 minutes of silence unless you're well-practiced in it. I mean that. Begin with one minute. Your mind will wander. That's fine. That's what minds are supposed to do. When it does, repeat the phrase, your will be done to yourself. Enjoy the presence of God in silence and listen for his still, small voice. I'd encourage you to, to try that. Um, I, I got to some point in this week where I was like, I got to practice what I'm going to preach. <laughs> and so I spent, you know, I, I, I looked at the clock and it was 9.36. And I said, all right, I'm going to go until 9.40. Four minutes, silence. And sat there and stared at my feet. And I had a cup of coffee in my hands. And I was just quiet. And it was really good. Um, and paid attention to where my mind went brought my mind back, your will be done, and looked at the clock, and it was um, 9.43. Seven minutes! Hey! Pretty cool. I mean, it's amazing. Seven minutes on YouTube or Instagram is like that, and seven minutes of silence, you realize, whoa, time's precious. That's a long time. Um, So I would encourage you to practice that this week. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again this week myself. In a moment, we're going to come forward for communion. How do we know God's will? We know God's will through Christ. What does it look like for us to do God's will? It looks like Christ. If you want to know God's will for the earth, look to Jesus. If you want to know how to follow God's will, look to Jesus. One of my favorite theologians on on the practice of communion wrote in a book on communion, the more we let the events of Christ's life inform us, the more we will be able to connect our own daily stories with the great story of God's presence in our lives. Communion is retelling the story of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. This meal is retelling the story of Jesus and participating in that story by coming forward, taking a piece of bread, hearing the body of Christ broken for you, taking one of the cups, drinking, hearing the blood of Christ poured out for you. We participate in the life of Jesus at communion, and as we participate in Jesus' life, we are shaped more and more into his image. So I'm going to say a prayer of of confession, um, and then we'll come forward for communion. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin, and we cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have often chosen our own will and neglected yours. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen.